From GayBC, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mack. Your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happy Hour. Um, hope you're having a nice Thursday so far. Uh, and hope to make it a little nicer here in the happy hour. Um, full disclosure, uh, up front, I am operating uh, off of a five-year-old Verizon jet pack because it is raining here. And uh, at GBC uh, HQ East, um, things get a little dicey when there's precipitation. So we will try our best with that, but apologies if the sound quality is less than stellar. And I'm of course, I'm uh, of course uh, joined by my lovely co-hosts uh, Johnny Mack and Chick Maxson. Chick, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm glad to hear that you're doing good as Thank well. You. Yeah. And, and Johnny, I know you're a little under the weather, but hello. I feel like a Mack truck hit me. Oh. <laughs> well, we will we will try to. Uh, <laughs> to uh ameliorate some of your your pain with some of our fun discussion tonight okay. but um there's a lot a lot to discuss this evening we have some fun stuff we have some serious stuff um and as always uh this is a call-in show so the number is 760-677-0111 uh if any of these topics strike your fancy if there's anything we've talked about in previous episodes that you want to weigh in on, uh, feel free to give a call and we can talk about that. Um, but the number, again, is 760-677-0111. And we'll just jump right into it. Um, the curriculum battles continue to rage in Florida. Um, and this week, you know, as I was preparing some of the show notes, uh they took a turn over the course of the week because, uh, you know, sort of Sunday into Monday, uh, there was news that Florida banned the AP psychology curriculum uh, for referencing sexual orientation and gender identity, which apparently it has done for decades. Um, but, you know, given uh, Ron DeSantis's, you know, continuing drumbeat of uh, anti-LGBTQ um, sort of school-related stuff, um, they decided to make an issue of it. And um, there was a back and forth with the college board. And then uh, Florida ultimately, uh, actually to my mind surprisingly, blinked and uh, backed off of their stance and uh, decided to allow schools to teach the entirety of the AP psychology curriculum after causing that whole kerfuffle. So, again, you know, um, this kind of goes into the culture war stuff that Florida seems to be leading the charge on um, and being, you know, uh, I, I was saying to Chick, uh, our Texas co-host, that um, uh, taking the heat off of Texas uh, in terms of being a state sometimes uh, most – uh, in charge of some loathsome stuff that happens at the state uh, le level. So, um, so that's all been kind of going on. And then, and then, and you know, I'd love to hear because Chick brought this up. Actually, um, there was a story that I wasn't aware of, but is a whole thing, which is Prager U. Uh, I'd never heard of before. Is that but, tied um, to Dennis Prager, the right wing wacko? 
uh, Christian conservative talk show host? It is. It is actually an organization founded by that person. Um, and they make these uh, you should not YouTube be running videos. Any, any school any more than Trump having a university. So, uh, yeah, it's funny that you say that because uh, PragerU uh, ha- creates these uh, indoctrinating kind of animated videos, edu- quote, educational videos. Um, and the PragerU curriculum, as it were, was just recently approved by Florida's Department of Education. So um, so th- there are videos which, you know, uh, and the guy who, who founded it openly says that it is, cons- is supposed to be a conservative, you know, sort of. Yeah, I'm sure uh, he's doing that. exactly what Jerry Falwell did with Liberty University. Yeah, but it's videos for children. It's, for, it's you yeah. know targeted at the elementary school, kind of high school, middle school level, and you know videos on uh, you know things like was slavery really that bad, um, gender essentialism, uh, anti climate change, all I'm, that. I'm and so, so that's now all- sick of hearing all that. Yeah, and so th- so it's kind of it's uh, you know any teacher in Florida is is free now to uh, you know decide to play some videos from PragerU um, on a variety of topics. Um, you know, other things like is is the Muslim religion actually a peaceful religion? Why isn't communism as hated as fascism? Uh, the list goes on and on. Um, and yeah, so these videos are basically have gotten the seal of approval from Florida's Department of Education. Well, yeah, and they're I, also not just um, they're they're also not just for children. They 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 make a, a huge for you know on YouTube and other social media sites. But they they have been making videos like that for years and years and years. Um, they used to start out as I, the the reason why I know about PragerU is because they um, they they would come up as YouTube ads. To you know, it'd, it'd be like a whole five-minute ad, and of course you can skip through it, skip over the ad. But just recently, in the last week, they released the videos that Richie's that Richie that you're talking about, that are geared towards children, and they're 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 animated videos. You know, they're cartoons. I mean, and but but they've been doing it for so long now. Yeah, and it's sort of like, I mean, think about sort of the antithesis of Schoolhouse Rocks, you know, these kind of like fun, poppy videos that are really teaching, you know, kind of, you know, things straight down the middle and and civically minded and stuff. This is purely ideological counter-programming and and, um, indoctrination from the right wing that has been given the go-ahead in Florida's schools. So it's, it's pretty... It's pretty pathetic. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward, not looking forward to, but I, I do plan on kind of doing a little bit of a dive into these PragerU videos and, and sort of getting more of a grasp on what they're doing. But, um, you know, PragerU has, has made the statement that they're planning on trying to get into other states, uh, you know, school programs so definitely something to keep an eye on and you know again we've always we always talk on the show about being involved at the local level um but you know 
keep an eye on this. If you're if you're civically minded, you know, think about your local school board, um, whether or not, and even at the state level, um, you know, if PragerU is on the docket, uh, make sure you're out there and saying we don't want we don't want this stuff. I mean, they're trying to to ban. You know, uh, I read an article. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the the book bans and stuff. Uh, there was one recent uh, some municipality where one of the local commissioners or whatever was uh, floating the idea that people under the age of 18 shouldn't be allowed to go into the library oh, without uh, without parental without a parental unit actually physically Ugh. present. Give me a freaking break. Yeah. Yeah, so this stuff, I mean this stuff is a live live ammunition sort of story, you know, and uh we got to keep keep our eyes on it because um they're trying all kinds of tactics, you know, the, the, the you know, thankfully uh you know, the the college board didn't cave on the AP psychology test like they did uh you know, to some extent it seems like on uh you know, the African studies uh uh, curriculum, uh, which, you know, I think was, I think is still banned in Florida or, or was, or they, or they watered it down enough that Florida would accept it. But you have these, you know, these big States like a Florida or a Texas and, but, and I know Texas has traditionally, um, swung its, its heft around a lot in terms of textbooks, um, elementary and high school and middle school level textbooks in terms of what's actually printed in there because they have such an outsized buying authority because they're just big states. And so what they do is they they say, well, we're not going to buy any books from you, Prentice Hall, if any of your books contain the following content. And then they just list the things that they don't want in there. And so this is it's it's not a new subject, but it's one that's sort of taken on renewed vigor recently and um, definitely one to to pay attention to. You know, my hope is that um, after we saw what we saw this week, and we're going to talk about this later in the show, that happened in Ohio, um, that we're once again seeing a movement by rational people who understand how our rights and our freedoms uh, are under attack and our democracy is under attack. Um, And I... I'm very hopeful that in November of 2024 that we're going to see uh, an enormous uh, blue tsunami that will hopefully turn things around because uh, the GOP is losing favor with all of these kinds of rules and laws that they try and shove down people's throats, whether it's for... uh, you know, for women's reproductive rights or for LGBTQ rights or, you know, for, um, you know, uh, reasonable and honest education about black history and, and that kind of stuff. You know, I just, I can't believe that we're in the 21st century and we have taken such a giant leap back into the 1940s and 50s. I know. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there there's, stuff coming out of PragerU that says, you know, actually, you know, Rosa Parks, you know, it wasn't that bad in the back of the bus. It's, you know, it's still comfy. You know, that was a nice spot to be. She was just kind of a little uppity. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they started pulling that stuff, you know? And, um, 
but you know, you you bring up a good point, um, which is tactics, and we'll talk a little later about um, about tactics. But um, you know, one of the things that that's really uh, important, you know, with the PragerU thing is and with and with the um you know with the attempted uh change in ohio to the you know to the laws um boring seemingly boring things matter because you know prager you it's like if you look at it on paper oh the department of education approves a vendor for content that sounds so innocuous it sounds so boring until you look into what they're actually doing and it's like you have to pay attention to the boring stuff, um, you know, a seeming change in procedural rules about how to change the constitution of the state. It's like, oh, sounds so boring, snore. But what that's really doing is something really nefarious. And so, you know, kind of like with the issue of um, we talk about in here getting involved locally in school board, city council, everything on up. It's also pay attention to the boring stuff because that's where they hide really nefarious things is in the details. Yeah. And I think that when we get into a little later talking about what happened in Ohio this past uh, week, that um, we're going to have an opportunity to talk about the message that gets to the most people. And that can sometimes be the signage and the TV commercials and the billboards. And, and I think that they had a very smart, succinct, message that said, you know, uh, that a no vote was a vote to not take away women's rights. And, and, uh, from that standpoint, it really made a difference, I think, in terms of making people think about, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, I may be conservative, but I'm not for limiting, uh, you know, half the population's civil rights. Yeah, and I think that's something, and I think it's something that, um, you know, to go to unintended consequences, I think the, the overturning of Roe, um, what the right didn't fully grasp or maybe didn't care or whatever, is that it, it gave this it, it gave this tangible thing to the left, which is to say, here's a thing that matters that's on the line. And because, you know— if you think about, you know, economics, they always say like, oh, you know, is the economy stupid? But how do you how do you capture that in a way that actually is a bumper sticker? It's yeah. hard. But when you're talking about women's rights on the line, when you're talking about, you know, and on the on the flip side, you know, they would, you know, they'll say things like, you know, children's rights are being, you know, uh torn away by these, you know, these radical queers, you know, that that gets the pulse going and that gets people voting. And so um, I, I think that it is sort of trying to find out what are these touch points that we can harness on the left that are that are things that get people literally out to vote, because the economy is obviously too diffuse, because when you look at poll numbers and stuff, you know, Biden's kind of middling, even though. Uh, you know, by a lot of metrics, Bidenomics is doing a really good job, and especially after what it came, you know, what came before it. Of course, but and most people just, don't look at that; they don't understand yeah, it, that. It doesn't cut through. It, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't resonate. And so, finding the things that will resonate that will actually get people charged up 
is really the task right now. And and obviously women's rights is is one. But I would say, you know, to on the flip side of what's happening in Florida, that people should be up in arms about the kind of encroachment on libraries, on schools, and on, you know, their children's right to have really an you know a a free and and you know carefree education where you can read the books you want to, where you're not being subjected to indoctrination animation videos by absolute whack jobs. Um, and, you know, this even kind of goes to the thing where in, I forget which state it was, it might have actually been, I don't know if, if it's Florida or whatever, but where they, they're, they're trying to pass a law that instead of guidance counselors, that schools which have, um, you know, pretty robust requirements, uh, chaplains, which have no requirements instead. So um, more to come on this subject. Uh, You know, uh, we'll talk about this uh, in a different context a little later. But in the meantime, stick with us. Uh, This is the happy hour. When was the last time that you had a real summer vacation? And I'm betting it was sometime around when you were in school. Yeah. We're going to talk about the long and the short of summer vacations next on the GBC Happy Hour. Hour on Gay BC. No agenda, except for that gay one. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. So we are in the midst of summer. We're, you know, it's actually, you know, it's it's sort of coming to a close-ish. You know, it's on its way, but um, you know, it's still summer. But um, a recent story I read uh, caught my attention. This is in the Washington Post. And it talks about how U.S. workers aren't taking week-long vacations anymore, or you know, vanishingly so. And um, you know, what's the deal with that? And and you know, I, I I can I can relate. You know, I can I get it in a way. And and the story talks about this, but um, you know, I don't know what's changed between you know. 20 years ago and now, but I do find that, you know, I have a fixed number of vacation days. I have a work, a government job. Um, and you know, I have uh, time I have to account for, but, um, you know, with just the vicissitudes of life, um, you know, you take a half day here to get the car's oil changed. You take, you know, a half day there because you have to go to the, you know, take the cat to the vet. Um, and a little, you know, long weekends, kind of three day, four day weekends on, you know, on bookending um, an, an existing holiday. And suddenly your vacation time is just gone. Um, and it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting quandary. And especially, you know, you compare things to like Europe where, you know, in the month of August, you know, all of France is is not at work or, you know, whatever. Um and it just it, it is remarkable that not only do you know do do we now work longer hours because we're always kind of on call with our phones and our laptops, but we're not taking these extended kind of you know breathers these these week long vacations that we once took. Yeah, 
I, I think that it's very, it stands out like a sore thumb, is what I want to say, for the United States versus most of the rest of the world in terms of having time off, relaxation, you know, resting time from from the grind, the daily grind. And when you don't give that confidently to people and let them know that they're going to be able to, you know, wind down and also have time to go deal with, you know, with things that they've got to deal with in everyday life. Uh, I think, you know, the American people, uh, it's funny because for all the wackos who, you know, are out there supporting uh, the mega crowd, um, it seems to me that if people really wanted to think about their own welfare, they'd be, you know, putting the onus on corporate America to have to, you know, provide us with, you know, a European approach to time off. And there's a lot and of com- there's a lot of companies today, Richie and Chick, who um, also, uh, you know, they have these policies where they say there's no limit to the amount of time you can take off, except, you know, if you're mired down in all sorts of work, you can't really take the time off. And you know, to, to, to on on the sort of on this same topic, but like on the like sort of micro level, chick. You blew me away the other day with something that you mentioned that Texas just passed about water breaks. Can you tell us about that? Because that is so astounding to me. Yes. So Governor Greg Abbott had signed into law a, or I guess is it removed a law that required municipalities to allow water breaks for con- you know, construction workers, maintenance workers. Um, I don't remember if it was required or if it was removed for private companies, but at least for municipalities, their construction workers, again, construction, maintenance, um, water departments, all this, they are no longer allowed or they are no longer required to give their employees water breaks. Even throughout, and this was signed, and this was signed in during the hottest month that we, one of the hottest months that we've ever had. It's just astounding to me, you know. Um, and what it, it all speaks to is, um, I think, why you know everything from not, you know, people un, not not taking their full week, you know, vacation to. Um, to this water break thing is I think because of various cycles of economic instability and periods of unemployment and, you know, sort of economic upheaval, there's just been this and, and the decreasing union union rate in the country, you know, writ large is this idea that you are replaceable. Like you are not, you are not someone that is valued as a worker and that you can be replaced and so you 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 want to you know either you know you want to feel like you're needed and so people are on call 24 7 um and you know then there are you know bills like that that basically tell people you're not you're not even worth a water break um 
it's just kind of this redefinition of labor to this this sort of breaking point where you can't get the 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 air to breathe for a week, you know, um, go on that that family trip to the beautiful national parks we have. Um, it's really demoralizing because, you know, and, and, you know, we can talk a little bit, uh, you know, either for the rest of this segment or a little bit later, um, you know, there are you know, family trips growing up were kind of seminal and in these these memories for children and I'm sure for parents, too. Um, to go to, you know, Yosemite or Canyonlands or Zion or Arcadia or whatever. Um, and that requires some time. And it also, that time lets you detach and actually reconnect with yourself in a way, in a different way. And to have so many people not able to do that anymore, it's, it's really, um, alarming, but, uh, more on that to come. And uh, in the meantime, uh, get your get your cleats on and get your shin guards ready because we are going to talk about the Women's World Cup. And more de- to come. Yeah, and the departure from professional soccer by Megan Rapinoe and the controversy that that created. Stay with us. Once a week, but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them. The hosts will tell you where, if you ask nicely. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Again, we are here. Uh, it's me, uh, uh, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mac. Johnny's a little under the weather, but is powering through as best he can. Um, and a reminder that this is a call-in show. Uh, our number is 760-677-0111. If anything strikes your fancy, we'd love to hear from you. Um, I know that this... you had a cold recently, too. And I just have to say that when it's, well, right now at this moment as we are doing the show, it's 96 degrees here in Palm Springs. And it just sucks to be sick when it when it's so hot. Oh no, it's ter- it's the oh, it's the worst, especially because like I don't know, you know, depending on what kind of sickness you have. Um, but um, you know, when I'm really sick, one of the first things that goes is is ability to re- to regulate temperature at all. Yeah. And so when it's hot or when it's really hot or really cold, and you're sick, it's like it doubles the sort of it's like a double whammy. Yeah, I mean, the other night I was can't... like getting chills, and then I yeah. was you know, so hot and and sweaty and all that. And I know that some of the people in our audience think that that's hot within itself, but it's not, believe me. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really, it's really no fun. Yeah. So, um, sending everyone send uh, healing rays in the direction of Palm Springs. Um, but so this next segment, uh, I must, I must confess, um, I had, because I'm not a sports person, a bit of a blind spot 
And um, I was blithely going about my merry business. And uh, my good friend uh, and uh, regular listener to the happy hour, Diane Valdez, uh, who is based in Germany, messaged me and said, "Um, why are you talking about the Women's World Cup? And uh, a couple other friends actually also kind of chimed in and were like, "Um, hello, Women's World Cup. Um, That's kind of a thing. And it is. It is a whole thing. And we have been remiss on the happy hour to mention it uh, until now. And uh, it's absolutely underway. It's kind of like ending, you know, it's not ending, but heading towards finals. And it is a veritable hotbed of LGBTQ representation. Yeah, who Um, cares? It's the U.S. is out. So who cares? (laughs) <laughs> the u.s is out and that was a whole thing in itself but um i have to say the other night i was um i was out having a little dinner uh and the restaurant had uh the screens going of course behind the bar and um there was a game nigeria i believe versus england and i was watching it and that was pretty fun I don't know the rules of soccer, so it just was a bunch of the ball was just moving around and a bunch of kicking and doing stuff. But um, looks pretty looks. I mean, of course, very athletic, but very cool. Um, and I have to say, it is remarkable because when I started looking into it more, um, yeah, there are there are nearly a hundred out LGBTQ players in these games, um, which is a far cry from, I don't know if there were any out players at the men's world cup. Um, that's a huge, huge difference. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it, you know, definitely, uh, it's, it hasn't been on my radar until now, uh, sadly, but, um, definitely is putting it on my radar. Now I, I feel like, uh, you know, women's soccer might be kind of like the queerest thing going. Well, it is kind of like the WNBA. Lots of lesbian girls are on those basketball teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's just sort of interesting sort of thing to think about. In in fact, Um, Megan Rapinoe, who has uh, drawn a lot of attention uh, in the past, week or so uh, because she has decided that this is going to be her final year playing Um, uh, and she's been a great advocate for LGBTQ stuff but she is girlfriends with a member of or somebody who was part of the uh, Seattle uh, oh god uh uh, who was part of the Seattle, the Seattle uh, team, the Seattle NBA, the WNBA. Team. Yeah. Uh, Seattle storm. I'm sorry. Uh, I have too much congestion in my head to think straight. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, uh, uh, Sue bird, who was a legend in WNBA and the two of them are together and, uh, Seattle is their home. And, uh, so a couple of my hometown girls, who are uh, out there and proud and doing a lot to put a uh, LGBTQ face on, uh, on that. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is just, um, you know, again, as someone who's not, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not a sports guy, um, but I appreciate the importance that it plays culturally. Um, but, you know, I have to say uh, that there is, there is um, absolutely um, a misogyny at work here because, you know, we have the Women's World Cup with, you know, nearly 100 out players going on. And we are, um, you know, and yet, you know, uh, some NFL team, you know, the assistant to the assistant of the, you know, of the coach of the, you know, of the receptionist comes out and it's front page news. And meanwhile, you know, uh, a lot of people aren't paying attention to the um, <laughs> the, the queer representations is right in front of our face. But um, yeah. I believe we have a caller on the line. We do. Uh, hello to Please. Leote. Welcome. How, how, I, I'm glad to hear that you're uh, powering through things there, Johnny. Um, I did. I did want to bring up um, the some commentary on a conversation you guys were having earlier about PragerU. Um, I, uh, I I have a distinct pleasure of being part of a very religious. Um, group of people in my life. I myself, licensed ordained minister, grew up in church. I, I wouldn't call myself a Christian by any means, but I think um, you guys were talking about when you're talking about Prager U, it, the danger that, that it per- represents not just for children. Um, of course, they always talk about grooming and all this kind of stuff, which is something that they're doing on a large scale and have been for a very long time. But when it comes to like, Prager you um, the danger that I see more prevalent in my experience is dealing with like progressive Christians because you have all these people that are working really hard to become more and more progressive. Um, what what Prager you does is they come in under the guise of Christian teaching and these people who've worked hard to get over things like racism and, and kind of wake up. Prager you literally undoes every bit of that progression that they've made and tries to represent the fact that the that being progressive is a non-Christian way of living or a non not a good way to live. Um, like and, and it's more prevalent I think with the elderly because they don't know to be able to tell the difference between things on the internet that are tricky. Um and when you guys were talking about that, I was I was actually texting John. I was it literally boils my blood when I talk to Christians and and people who are progressive. Um, uh, just overall, like I don't know if you guys have dealt with that, where you've had to have conversations with people that you've had um, like a friendship with, where you talked about all these progressive ideas, and then they come back at you with like information and facts from PragerU. Um, well, frankly, yeah. my personal yeah, feeling is is that Jesus Christ, uh, if all the story, if all the you know stories are are true, was as progressive as they got while walking the face they, of the they earth. They literally killed them. They killed him for being progressive. Yeah. You know, like, okay. and the, what they've done. Like, I had a, an instance where there was a an, an older lady. She's in her seventies, and she was very much a, a Christian, but um, like deeply in the religion, but she was very progressive. We would literally sit and talk about how racism was wrong and how gay people are to be accepted. Like Jesus would be hanging out with us 
would be like spending time with us from the, the biblical standard, right? That he was progressive, that he was kind and loving and open to all of this. But then she would come to me and she's like, but then I was watching this video that came from PragerU. She's like, I signed up for their thing because they seemed really good. And then, like, she started giving me these skewed views where she's like, but I, you know, the, the Bible says this and this is what they said it means. And they literally worked on a nuanced level to unwind progression of any kind and bring people back to conservatism and bring people back to these mindsets that are completely non-progressive in terms of our culture and in terms of religion. And it's, it's a danger. Like, it's, it is dangerous. It's, it's a danger. And it, it's, I mean, what it is, too, is, um, you know, this was very well, I mean, very uh, covered during the Trump times. Um, but uh, there's this concept of whataboutism. And so what you mm. do is you take a topic that's pretty much well settled amongst all the, you know, sort of reasonable heads. Um, you know, let's say something like, you know, slavery was bad. And you just throw mm. in a, you know, well-produced video, kind of what aboutism. Well, but, you know, they learn valuable skills or, you know, um, with climate change. Well, you know, but, you know, temperatures have changed over the millennia. Uh, you know, there was an ice age and you just throw these kind of things out there and just to and it just kind of sows confusion and and um, gives little little grapple holds for people who don't you know who are trying to get on you know on the on the right path to kind of get diverted and to settle back into kind of you know comfortable places of thinking some one person that has the what about is down to a t that causes a lot of dissension is Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. He will literally ask question after question that really just goes in a circle and gives no answers, but ask these questions in such a way to lead you to think that way. And PragerU does the same thing, and that's the danger is they plant seeds of hate, they plant seeds of like uh, uh, negativity, they plant these seeds of racism and plant these seeds of anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ, um, like women's rights. They, they plant these seeds that cause people to spiral as they're thinking and grow into weeds that block that path of progression. And that's the true danger that we see is when there's no real answer to the question because we can't then say, well, you're saying this. They're saying, no, we weren't saying that. We just asked the question, and then the people came to the the answer on their own. And that's they manipulate the answer by asking the question in such a way or presenting the information in such a way that makes people think that just being progressive is the wrong path to go on and leads people down this other path um, of confusion to lead them to the answer they want them to have. And I think that's the biggest danger because it's like a snake in the grass. You know, like the poem, Narrow Fellow in the Grass. Um, right. And it, it, it kind of goes to the whole, um, you know, there's that, that classic canard that people use. And again, um, our former president, I tried not to say his name as much as possible, but, um, you know, people are saying, you know, you know, yeah. uh, j- just throw, you know, throwing out nonsense, but saying people are saying just kind of floating a balloon, you know, mm. um, you know, with Prager U, um, you know. Uh, well, 
just just throwing it out there. You know, it's just you know, just asking the question. It, it's very it's a very a very clever way to sow confusion and and discontent and misinformation because it's you know some of it is you know there's a hammer you know just just lies but then there's also just kind of like mystery questions you know just throwing a question out there because then mm-hmm. what it does is it you know and sometimes the questions are actually kind of like almost nonsensical and you know coming from uh you know from my background in the law one of the hardest things to do is to combat a nonsensical statement or question because you have to reform it in some kind of way to answer it and so it's a very it's a very clever tactic to kind of just throw a bunch of nonsense out there and then force rational folks to try to claw back to reality yeah it's the highest form of manipulation that we have nowadays and then on top of it we can't turn around and and pinpoint them as the the reason for it because they said well we didn't say that that's what the people are saying because we asked the question they have no responsibility for the answer because to them and the way they present it in their narcissistic level of thinking is that well we didn't actually give that answer they came up with that answer themselves because all we did is ask the question so they can't be held accountable for the result because they only quote unquote asked a question yep and with that, I think I think we're coming up on a break. Is that right, uh, Johnny? I'm I'm so bad keeping a track of the clock, but um, uh, a little over a minute away. Yep. Oh, good. Okay. I, I appreciate so have... you guys taking my call, and as you know, I love listening to the show, and I'm I'm here for it. You guys keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great nice night. Nice talking with you. Um, and you know, to go back to something we were talking about here in terms of um, selling discontent. Um, you know, to go back to the Women's World Cup, one of the things that I found most striking and most disgusting is that conservatives, including our former president, uh, were celebrating the U.S. team's loss, uh, claiming victory over their own country's team for being too, quote, woke. I am so sick of that word. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably more sick of that word than I'm sick with a head cold. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just, I mean, the idea that a national team in a world, you know, competition that that people in that country, uh, you know, leaders of that country, you know, or former leaders and, you know, big kind of big names uh, were just cheering. They were just so happy that Megan Rapinoe's team, uh, you know, got got defeated. It was just kind of a really repellent moment. Yeah. Well, well, still to come, uh, we're going to get into the fact that one doctor in Louisiana has decided that the state's anti-LGBTQ legislation is enough for him to leave, and they don't want him to leave. We'll tell you more about it soon.
come on, turn that frown upside down. It's the happy hour on KBC. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. I want to thank uh, Leote for calling in. Uh, we love callers. Um, again, the number is 760-677-0111. And uh, we love to hear from our listeners. Um, and just to kind of put a final pin on the previous topic, um, you know, I do think we should all be celebrating Megan Rapino. Um uh, who announced they would be here, you know, that is her final year as a professional soccer player. But she has been a diehard advocate of the LGBTQ community for years and has really, you know, put her, you know, you know, put her money where her mouth is in terms of advocacy for that. And uh, she stood with Colin Kaepernick and she really pushed um, hard and, you know, and the, the whole team did for pay parity for women's soccer, which is huge. Um, and, you know, they were, they were successful um, in, in, you know, sort of getting uh, uh, a pay package for women's soccer that was reflective of the fact that they are more popular than the men's team in the U.S., uh, but they were being vastly underpaid. And, um, you know, through, again, her advocacy and her sort of using her platform and using her strength um, really sort of changed that whole dynamic. So, um, you know, I, I just really want to underscore um, how awesome Megan Rapino has been for the LGBTQ community and for, um, you know, for women's soccer in general. But moving on, um, we do have a story of, you know, again, uh, unintended consequences or maybe intended consequences, who knows? But um, a, a doctor in Louisiana, um, who is one of the few pediatric heart specialists in that state, uh, is a gay man, and he is moving out of Louisiana specifically because of the drumbeat of anti-LGBTQ legislation. He just doesn't feel comfortable there anymore. And um, you know, this is a this is a a topic. I mean, that's interesting because. Uh, what to, you know? What do we? What what do you do uh, if you're a um, you know a person in the LGBTQ community, and you live in a state like Florida or Louisiana or uh, you know wherever Alabama, um, and the, you're being told time and time again, you know, especially now, you're not welcome. We don't want you. Um, we're passing laws against you and your, you know, people who like you. Um, you know, do you leave? Uh, you know, at some point, are we held accountable? Are we supposed to stay and fight? At what point is it like not? Is it okay to just be like, you know what? Eh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut my losses here and just go. I empathize um, with people who are native to an area. They grew up there, and this kind of stuff happens, and they don't want to leave their family and everything that, they, that they've that they known. Um, and I'm glad to see that this doctor has a backbone and is going to, unfortunately, probably leave some children's lives in jeopardy uh, because they're going to be down to just a couple of cardiac pediatric 
doctors. But the thing that gets me even more in states like Texas and Florida and Louisiana and Alabama and and Mississippi are when gay people go to those states and actually go there on vacations or you know um, go to participate in events. Of course, New Orleans is uh, you know well known for all the LGBTQ travel there when there's a, a event like Mardi Gras or Southern Decadence over the uh, Labor Day weekend and so on. And if we really want to uh, vote with our dollars, because that's that's how you get things to change. Um, it's with the money. and <laughs> And I think that you know, I mean, this is a great deal in that uh, that this doctor is going to be um, leaving there. But it also uh, seems to me that it's more on a bunch of us who go there, go to Louisiana, and, and spend money there, and don't punish them uh, from an economic standpoint by not doing that anymore. If people wouldn't go for just for those two events, if gay people would not go to Louisiana for, uh, for, uh, you know, uh, Southern Decadence and for Mardi Gras, it would have a, a major economic impact. And those businesses that are there, you know, that's when they'll start getting in the face face of lawmakers there. Yeah. I mean, I think I think what it boils down to is the principle of leave loudly. Um, you know, it's let you know this Louisiana doctor is doing is leaving loudly. I mean, you know, he's not just slow, you know, just quietly slinking away. He's, you know, there's news coverage of this. Right. Um, and similarly, you know, if you're uh, and, you know, th- this happened, you know, with some, er, you know, a few years ago with some of the, the early, you know, bathroom bills and stuff, um, you know, conferences would loudly, you know, announce that they were moving from states, you know, because of these bathroom bills is vote with your money, but make a big fucking noise. Yeah. Um, let people know because – you know, this is the thing is, is, you know, the people in, you know, these lawmakers in Louisiana who pass these LGBTQ, you know, anti-LGBTQ bills, so many of them, especially the anti-trans bills are, you know, ostensibly to, quote, protect the children. And the one thing that they're doing in this instance is literally putting children's babies' lives in danger for no fucking reason. Right. Um, and, and leave loudly because you're you're basically announcing your kids are at risk and your kids will die because your legislators are making a wedge issue out of nothing yep so you know i think i think you you bring up a great point johnny that um you know when you're thinking about where to have your fun um there's, pl- there's that, plenty that of states actually wants you. Yeah, there's pl- and, plenty of states with plenty of attractions and you know vacation stuff um, 
that you could go and and do and and be in a place that is LGBTQ plus supportive, and mm-hmm. you know, and send a message. Exactly, and and that's not. And the thing is, if you are in a place, um, you know, and you live, and the thing because one of the things I don't want to to um fall prey to is there's this false idea of complete elasticity. Oh, if you're not happy, you know, just just pick up stakes and move. Like there are reasons to stay places. Um, and if you're staying, stay loudly. That's the thing. It's like, yeah. just you have to be loud. It's like, that's why we have prides in small towns is to remind people we are here. But yeah. if we're not here, we're away for the same fucking reason. Yeah. You know, um, and just, just to kind of be very, very clear about our purposes, you know, it seems to me really kind of the answer at the moment. Well, in the next hour, we're going to talk about a game show host who has come out as pansexual. Uh, We're going to talk about AI and the fact that while it is pretty amazing in some ways, it's taking on a bad rap for its being pro-anorexia. And some other stuff as well, including the issue one in Ohio. So stay with us. We've got a lot more coming your way in the next hour. This is the GBC Happy Hour. The Happy Hour with Richie Roy, Chick Maxson. And Johnny Mac. These homosexuals are scheming for world domination. Good grief. What is it with every talk show host thinking they should run the planet? Anywho, back to the Gay BC Happy Hour. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back to the Happy Hour. Uh, we are in hour two, and we've got some fun stuff coming up. Um, and the, the first topic um, is... A little bit of a little bit of a flip a flip of the coin I'll put it that way because um, AI has been in the news a lot um, and you know there's a lot of hand-wringing about it and you know jobs and stuff but I want to start off by saying that AI can be really amazing I will you know throw out there first of all um, I've played with Adobe Photoshop um, now has this thing called generative fill. And what you do is you take a picture you have and let's say, you know, it's a, it's a picture of, you know, an old man in front of a building and it's a close up. You can, you can ask it to broaden the, the shot and it will recreate out of just AI more building. You can, you can circle uh, you know, uh, a pigeon that's in the picture and say, you know, remove pigeon. The pigeon is gone. Uh, and it, it can do all kinds of really quite uh, amazing image-based manipulation based on just a few words. You can say, you know, get rid of this shadow, change, uh, you know, get rid of all of the people in the background, and it will do it. And yeah. it's astoundingly good. I have, um, I have to come clean about something. Okay. Um, because basically, I don't like the idea of AI 
and I think a lot of people are being put out of work by it. But I have to admit that for the last few weeks, I've been letting the show descriptions be written by ChatGPT. And, um, and while I still manipulate them a little bit, uh, for the most part, it saves me a lot of time in writing them because I can just put in a few, you know, uh, bullet points about what's going to be on a show and it gives me a couple of paragraphs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I wanted us to start because, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of Sturm and Drang about AI, but there are use cases where it's really useful and really interesting and amazing. And, you know, um, you know, I don't want to discount that. That said, there's a dark side for sure. And before we get to what the, you mean, you don't like to be thin. Well, you know, it's not only that there was a, a recent story, an MIT grad uh, who's an Asian American took her picture and sent it to one of these uh, image AIs and said, um, you know, make this this portrait uh, more professional for a LinkedIn profile. And it literally threw back an image don't tell me. Do not tell me that it was her as a Caucasian. A white woman with blue eye, big blue eyes. Oh my god! Seriously, seriously. Yep. Yeah, that happened. And um, so, I mean, and so that's a, a race and AI is a huge problem. There's a huge, um, especially with image AI, a lot of um, really. Uh, really offensive and bad stuff that happens when people of color try to use image manipulation tools. Um, uh, but so that's one, that's one thing, but, um, but actually this is a subject that, that Johnny, uh, brought up, um, the AI, uh, according, you know, a recent Washington post article, um, sort of delved into, um, is, very happy to provide pro anorexia advice and information um and uh just remarkably so um that's gross it you know whether images or um things like you know crash diets uh you know even some you know some one of the prompts that they asked was um, you know, a diet that involved smoking cigarettes to curb appetite and you oh, know, the, no. the advice, you know, involved things like a snack being, you know, uh, you know, black coffee and five cigarettes, you know, I, I instead think of lunch. They should also have to offer the alternative, which is if you're a fan of Karen Carpenter music, um, you know, this was not the way to go. Yeah. And so it's just, um, you know, what, what it brings up is the AI is currently you know completely unregulated and um and just kind of gobbling up the world and hello learning richie you cut out there for a second oh did i did you yeah. lose me for a minute yeah go ahead well and we seem hello? to thought, now we are you there can you hear me? Johnny? Yeah. Can you hear me? I think he can't hear us, but we can hear him. So I think he's going to try and reconnect to us, as has happened on previous occasions of the 
GBC happy hour. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Johnny? Oh. I okay, I think he's trying to reconnect now. Uh, you know, not everything works great when it comes to <laughs> technology, but there he is. Can you hear He's, me? Yeah, I can. We could hear you all along, but you couldn't apparently oh. hear us. Sorry, sorry, no, sorry, th- sorry. That's okay. So pick <laughs> up where you were. Here. <laughs> what you were talking about about AI? Yeah. So, because um, one of the things about AI is that it learns through deep language learning, and um, they feed it a bunch of stuff, and the stuff that it's that it's tra- that it's trained on includes all the stuff that's on the internet and that includes things like you know these fitspo uh you know kind of discussion groups where there's um discussions of anorexic behavior you know it, and it also has you know biases based on who is talking and who's not talking uh and that can uh, affect you know things like racial uh, you know, sort of racial preference, preferencing by the machine. And so no one is really, I, I, I think, you know, I've always said places like Tesla, you know, these car companies that are doing autopilot should have ethicists on, on their teams that AI, they should have linguists and ethicists and, you know, psychologists and a bunch of people who are not just coders and money people really thinking deeply about what are we training these things on and how can we tweak the algorithms so that we're not perpetuating problems because we're taking something like anorexic, you know, forums and creating fodder for more, more eating disorders. It's really the, the fault lies with the people who are running the show They're you know, they need to, really think about what are we what are we making here you know you know not to not to crib um you know a recent movie you know uh, i have become death destroyer of worlds but seriously you know what are we doing here yeah for sure i i don't know though when you have uh people the likes of people who are you know at at the forefront of these technologies, uh, running those businesses, I'm not sure that you're, you know, going to get much more than lip service where it comes to ethicists and such. You're not because the, and and this is, this is a, a topic for, I mean, we, this could be a whole show, but you know, one of the things is, um, and it's a thing I'm, I'm really against, is the ethos of Silicon Valley and kind of tech, the tech world is, you know, act fast, break stuff, um, ask forgiveness later, um, get the beta out, you know, and tweak it on the backside. But when you're doing things that are, that have such broad ramifications on the economy, on people's well-being, um, and, you know, just sort of, generally kind of the the landscape of of kind of human behavior um i don't think that i don't think i think you have a moral and ethical responsibility to think beyond you know 
your your IPO, to think beyond you know getting your product out there and trying to make a splash and dis quote disrupting an industry. Well, and today, uh, you know, everybody's life, not some, but everybody's life is impacted by AI in some way or mm-hmm. other. And if you're looking for a job, you pretty much can't get one without going through one of the job search engines. And that's at the front end of that. It's all AI. Yeah. Determining if you use the right keywords, if you have, you know, if you go back so far in your history, your work history, you know, or in putting in a date that you graduated from high school or university, um, that tells people a lot, uh, you know, their systems a lot in terms of their being able to discriminate based on, you know, ageist factors and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So all that stuff is done uh, by an automated process. And, and, you know, and beyond that, you know, the, the, the general, the general timbre of stuff, whether it's AI or, you know, a lot of this kind of new tech um, streaming services, you know, we're currently, you know, there's, there's huge strikes going on with the WGA with SAG-AFTRA. Right. Um, and when you look at even before that, uh, things like taxi cabs and Uber, is you have this idea that we will disrupt an industry and figure out how to make money on it later, and we'll burn through VC while we're doing so. What you what you do in those situations, like let's just look at streaming. They priced streaming services artificially low while they were burning through venture capital. Um, disrupted an industry that had sort of reached an equilibrium in terms of people getting paid and destroy that industry, sort of like just, you know, cannibalize it and destroy it. And then once, you know, that industry is kind of rubble, realize, oh, well, we actually have to make money. Well, shoot, how are we going to do that? I guess we'll have to raise, we'll have to raise the prices or something. And meanwhile, also, um, immiserate, you know, the people who work in that industry, whether it's taxi drivers or actors or writers. Um, and so it's just this blithe, this blithe idea that you know better than everyone else and can just take an industry upend it, and everyone else can just kind of go to hell. Um, we're kind of reaping all those rewards all at once. I think TV and movies are going to get worse before they get better because of what, what has happened through the streaming services cab the, you know, the situation with cabs and, and, you know, all that is, you know, uh, has been completely sort of torched in a lot of municipalities. Um, and Uber, you know, is now they're, they're charging way more than the taxis used to charge because they have to make money. Um, and, you know, you just go down the line with AI, you know, they're doing the same thing now. They're they're running through. It costs money to run these searches, to run the computers and the data mining and all that stuff. And it's all free right now. But at some point, you know, and it's, it's disrupting industries and, and making people's jobs sort of irrelevant. And then at some point later, once the VC dries up, they're going to have to try to figure out how to make money on it, too. Meanwhile, everyone is out of jobs. It's. It's just it's a model. It's this model out of Silicon Valley 
that does not value labor, does not value humans at all. And I just I can't believe that we're still just living in a world where these kind of um, I guess sort of almost sort of uh, sociopathic sort of people can just just wipe away jobs and and also meanwhile just spread anorexia i mean it's just alarming yeah well silicon valley has always been a place where there has been a mass infestation of sociopaths well it's it's there's and and you know and to be clear uh Amazing innovators too. I mean, you know, there, there's amazing innovations, um, but but at the same time, uh, I think the, the 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 pairing of innovation with venture capital that just is like you know go destroy an industry for us. I think that's really you know it went from being you know early on. There was a something. There's a kind of deeply countercultural edge to Silicon Valley, you know. Early on, um, you know, you look at even the early days of Wired magazine. I mean, Wired magazine used to have these these long pull-out kind of segments on the front end with these quotes from you know Ray Kurzweil or um, you know these kind of like industry leaders that were really countercultural, really really kooky and and kind of hippie-ish and really you know kind of i say kind of bleeding edge um but then you get it kind of synced up with you know the siren song of here's a ton of money to do this stuff and that's i think where it really curdled and it really and it we're living in it now boy are we um you know and meanwhile you know even the kind of existing legacy things that we enjoy, like the U.S. Postal Service, then we get you know people like Louis DeJoy to coming in and destroying that too. So, um, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's hard being a human these days with all these robots and uh, psychos <laughs> roaming amongst us. And there was a psycho who actually ripped automation out and slowed our mail back right. down. That's right. And we're still paying the price for that. Sorting machines. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They should just turn control of the world over to us. Yeah. I mean, as one of our little little intro segments, you chicken can run the the world. Yeah. As one of the intro segments says, what is it with all these radio hosts thinking that they should rule everything? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Well, coming up in our next segment. We're going to talk about Wayne Brady, welcoming him to the non-heteronormative family. He came out this past week as pansexual. That's coming up next on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Chick Maxson. I'm Johnny Mac. Sick as fuck, but hey, working through it.
Maybe it's time to take a fresh look at everything we thought we knew about landing a great job. For instance, what if phenomenal careers start at the middle school science fair instead of at the job fair? If being the captain of the robotics team means just as much on a college application as being captain of the football team. And if knowing the quadratic formula is every bit as important as knowing the right people. Well, the fact is, the jobs of the future will be heavily geared towards science, technology, engineering, and math. In other words, the future is STEM. More opportunities, better pay. And the road to these great jobs starts as early as middle school. So if you're a student, talk to your school counselor about STEM. If you're a parent, talk to your kids. Because the job you'll get in the future may very well depend on what you do today. A public service message from America's Navy. The Happy Hour, where the drinks are half price, the snacks are complimentary, and the hosts just won't shut up. Yep, welcome to Back to the Happy Hour, where the host just won't shut up. And this host actually has to take a little moment um, before we get into this next topic to just say, um, you know, the future may be STEM, uh, you know, which is the, if you're listening live, um, the PSA mentioned. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I really take issue about um, with uh, the focus on STEM these days is that actually... Um, learning to be a good human doesn't fall into STEM. Um, things like literature, music, um, psychology, sociology, soft sciences, there's no attention paid to those now because they're they're not focused upon because they're not necessarily job creators. But it's also good to like learn what it is to be a human. So I have to say, like, <laughs> You know, this is just my little soapboxy thing. This is my my recommendation for the for. The I don't know. I week. think I think that if they wanted us to be good humans, that we'd have had a very different kind of sex ed in the school. Well, that too. I'm sure sex ed. Yeah, I mean, let's put that out there too. But yeah, anyway, that that's just when I hear STEM, my hackles go up because. Um, you know, I, you know, growing up, I was always, you know, into music and arts and, um, you know, all that stuff. And I had an uncle at some point at like a Thanksgiving who was like, you know, when I was in college studying filmmaking, um, said, well, why don't you do computer sciences, computer programming? That's where the money is. And it's like, maybe, maybe so. But like, actually, I was kind of learning who I was as a person. And that was kind of more important. And so anyway, uh, anyway, back to the topic at hand. Let's welcome to the LGBTQ plus family, Wayne Brady. I like this story a lot. I don't watch Let's Make a Deal, which he's the host of. Um, I don't even know what channel it's on. Couldn't tell you what the show is. Well, it's but a I pansexual. It- he could offer up a woman. You know, uh, or what's behind curtain number three? There you go. But um, you know, he he came out as pansexual, and I think this is actually a big deal. And the reason why is because game shows are kind of like this. You know, they're kind of like they're family programming. 
they're family programming. They people watch people watch them. You know, the people who watch them are generally old now. I mean, the demographic for things like that to make a deal are old, you know, blue hairs and, you know, people who just have the TV on. You know, this is this is the stuff that people who aren't watching, you know, heartbreakers uh, are watching. And for him to come out as Pan and to, you know, specifically mention that it's because you know, he, it's important to him to, you know, he has an ex-wife, he has kids, and it's all amicable, it's all above board. Um, it really sends a message that, uh, that, yeah, for, to the, you know, to the entire country, to everyone, that, you know, that queer lives exist. And even your, your cuddly host of Let's Make a Deal is a queer person and a queer person of color. I mean, that is, I think, a big deal. And actually, it's it came out just kind of like you know, under the radar. But I think that's a big, a big thing for representation. I you know, I kind of see your point. I also um, have debated with, and it's one of the questions I asked uh, this week on the GBC.com homepage um, in our show description is about whether or not we are um, we are at a point where it shouldn't matter what somebody's personal life is. <clears throat> and I don't mean that in terms of the <clears throat> that they shouldn't be out about who they are. I mean, I think that Hollywood can handle anybody being out. And so uh, I think it's kind of ridiculous that people... Uh, are still closeted about those facets of their life when they're so in the public eye. And, um, I mean, I'm glad that Wayne Brady came out. Um, but at the same time, I think that we place a lot of emphasis on when a celebrity or, you know, a newsmaker uh, takes that step out of the closet. And I just think, you know, those are brave things to do, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I, I see your point, but I also think it, I think context matters. I mean, you know, for instance, there, you, there's a, you know, cause we've talked before, not in terms of, of sexuality, but like someone like Ryan Seacrest, he is so squeaky clean because he wants to be, as palatable as possible to as many people as he can. He wants to be America's sweetheart and will never do anything to rock any boat at all in one way or the other. And like literally is like on a tightrope to never, you know, ruffle any feathers on any possible side ever. And I feel like Wayne Brady is kind of, in that same vein, when you're doing that kind of national game show kind of hosty thing, you're so you're so milk toast. Like that's the whole point that I think that someone that kind of, you know, un, non ruffly feathers, just kind of like approachable, like Kendall, whatever, 
to to actually be like I'm I'm a pansexual, which that in itself, not just saying I'm gay, I mean, I'm pansexual. And he specifically said, you know, because I don't want, you know, I I'm attracted to you know to men, women, trans folks, whatever. I I think that that's cool. Yeah, and if you have a thought on it, you're welcome to call us seven six zero six seven seven zero one eleven. 760-677-0111 is the phone number here at the GBC Happy Hour with Chick, with Chick Maxson and Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mac, and I'll get it out. It, it's hiding behind some mucus in my lung. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Stay with us. This is the GBC Happy Hour. You think these guys aren't interesting enough without you joining the show? You're probably right. 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by right now. Probably. <laughs> yes, we are indeed standing by. Um, so welcome back to the happy hour. And for those of you listening um, on the podcast, uh, not live, you missed the PSA or not PSA, the um, the news read. And um, I have to just respond to that again. I'm, I'm just in a responsive mode tonight, I guess. But it talked about uh, Senator Manchin considering uh, going independent. And what I have to say about that is go right ahead. You know, I he drives me crazy that the D Democratic Party has kowtows to this essentially Republican person because he's, you know, technically a Democrat. And we've we've built a whole structure around needing to accommodate Joe Manchin. And he eviscerates all kinds of Democratic policies that really are sort of widely held because he's this like, you know, swing vote or whatever. Let's get a vote somewhere else. Let's not care about him. I'm sorry. Bye. Like, Go independent. No one cares about you. Bye, Joe Manchin. But that's my moment with Joe Manchin. Well, as you know, I have long proposed that a team of SEALs should go under his um, home in the Potomac River and do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, just honestly, the fact that and he's such a drama queen about everything yeah. that, you know, he, he wrings his hands and, you know, is back and forth, you know, about whether he's going to support any kind of modicum of democratic policy for, you know, weeks and weeks. Meanwhile, everything else is derailed. Just good riddance. Let's get someone. Let's find some you, other place. You would to think that a, a state that relies as much as West Virginia does on the federal government for money for um, medicine and health care um, would be uh, a lot more uh, amenable to the Democrats than to the Republicans. But I think that they have to lose that representation in order to feel that pinch. 
I mean, yeah, let's I, face it. Absolutely. Um, West Virginia has the highest percentage of opiate addicts in the United States of America. And I'm not saying that to, you know, to put down all opiate addicts. It's a terrible, terrible thing, and I've lost somebody very close to me because of it. So I'm not judging, but I'm just saying that, you know, uh, they have a really severe problem there where that's concerned. And on a per capita basis, it's the worst in the country. So, you know, if if uh, if they're not going to play, uh, you know, with our party, then I say screw them. You know, let them realize what they have to lose, and then maybe things will change. One well, specifically, I mean, screw Joe Manchin because he he, he only has any kind of gra- any grasp on on power because he is nominally a Democrat. If he were a Republican, he would be out of he'd be out of town. No one cares about him as a Republican. Yeah. Like they only want him and will support him and get money towards him and keep him in power as a Democrat because they want that. Just, they want that vote. But like as a Republican, the Republicans would be like, see, ya, you are, you're lame. And actually Democrats should say, see, ya, you're, you're lame yep. because he's not supportive of the, of broadly any of the things that, you know, especially when it comes to green new deal you know, when it comes to a lot of social issues, he's just he's just a kind of dead weight. And the I, and the the amount of machinations that have to go on to make him get him on board with even the most milk toast of Democratic legislation. It's not worth it. Well, anyway, we're going to have a major presidential year of elections coming up and congressional elections uh, next year at a time when the American people are fed up with the Supreme Court and with the uh, uh, Congress and its uh, anti-female, anti-LGBTQ, anti-black, um, you know, shenanigans. And I, I think that this is going to be a slum, slam dunk year unless the Democrats just completely fuck it off. And... And believe me, I mean, I've seen it enough times where they've done that, too. But I'm really hoping that somebody gets in there and puts together a machine that's going to work over the next year and a half. Yeah, and I think the machine, you know, I think here's where the machine works, is I think, you know, because the topic of of this little segment is about issue one in Ohio. And uh, we'll get into what that is. But I think that the machine is actually uh, a Rube Goldberg machine. I think it's not top-down. I think top-down DNC-run machines, we've seen it before, are a loser. Yep. They're smug. They're self-satisfied. They don't care. They, they think that they know what's going on, and they have the oldest, most out-of-touch pollsters and advisors that get them on the wrong issues and they just cruise to defeat. I think when you when you look at things like issue one in Ohio, which, you know, this you know th- this was a story this week. Um, you know, the L- Republicans in Ohio were trying to change the rules uh, on how to change the constitution of the state because after the D- 
defeat of Roe v. Wade by our current uh, Supreme Court, uh, you know, oof. I, I feel like I want to put supreme in like quotation marks at this point, <laughs> but our current quote Supreme Court, um, you know, taking down Roe versus Wade, um, uh, there is a groundswell of of effort in Ohio to ensconce abortion protections in the law, um, in their constitution. And Republicans seeing the writing on the wall tried to pass uh, an initiative to make it so that any change to the Constitution had to be a supermajority as opposed to just a straight uh, straight majority. And uh, the the Democrats got out in force and made this a very clear issue and said, if you care about women's health, you vote no. Make it clear. It was, it was clear as a bell and it was loud and it got routed. It was lopsided it was not even close um and you know i think that this this really speaks to um you know i think women's issues and and the abortion issues specifically are going to be really big going into the next election but more specifically i think it speaks to um a blueprint for what to do which is um not to coast on on and I think and I think the polls bear this out, not to coast on incumbency in terms of Biden, not to coast on um, assuming votes. It's about firing people up on issues that matter to them. Um, and you know, and I think unfortunately, I think Bidenomics is a hard sell because it's too abstruse and too abstract. And it's just like, well, what is it? What does that really mean? I think it's really, you know, and the Republicans are very good about wedge issues. They're good about social issues. Um, we've got to get smart on this and just be like state by state. What are the issues? What are the initiatives? How are we going to get people on a granular level from this, from you know, the local election all the way up to get out and get like get motivated and vote? Yes. And I don't think it's it's I don't think it's Biden. I, I think. Biden's going to ride the coattails of down ticket. I think that's the trick. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that uh, the problem also with the Bidenomics thing is that a lot of everyday people who live, you know, on Main Street USA are feeling the pinch of mm -hmm. inflation. And that pinch has not necessarily gone away. It's still hitting them at the gas tank and at the grocery store and, you know, and, you know, with their uh, utilities and things like that. And as a result, uh, they're not necessarily feeling the impact that the numbers really show in terms of the improvement in the American economy. So they probably tend to look at those numbers as though that's a bunch of BS. Well, and that goes to, I mean, a, a, a broad issue which is um which is that especially somehow with democrats i don't know why it's always with democrats but um is democrats get blamed for macroeconomic issues and don't get credit for microeconomic issues like 
like global inflation is real and inflation is actually rampant globally. Right. Much worse in many countries than the U.S. But that's you can't make that argument. You can't say, well, look, we're doing it may be bad, but it could be worse. That's not what people want to hear. People want a zero sum. I'm doing better. Not than the other than the rest of the world, even if that's not even possible. It's just you can't make that argument. That argument's a loser. So you have to have other arguments in your arsenal. Yeah. Um and yeah, yeah, and that's the thing with Bidenomics. It's like we're we're doing so much better than we would have been or could have been, like by any metric. And did <laughs> but if that doesn't feel at the end of the day good. I mean, the thing that's so embarrassing um, and, you know, in our final topic, lottery dreaming, um, I will get on my soapbox about my topic of choice. But um, is that is that um, is that the political literacy is so low that people blame the blame the president specifically for gas prices This is a constant thing, and it doesn't matter which administration it is. The gas prices go up, and they blame the president for the gas prices. I mean, give me a break. This is a commod. It's a commodity. It's a it's a global commodity, and the president has like nothing to do with it. But you know, when you when it comes to the you know to November and gas prices are up, the incumbent is on the back foot. Because that is how bad our political literacy is, is that that's what people are thinking about. Yeah. Well, I personally don't think that any energy or um, natural resources should be in the hands of private corporations. But then everybody starts screaming at me and, you know, going, no, 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 the government can't do anything right. Well, as somebody who lived in a place where I had both... uh, an electric and natural gas utility that I got my power and my heat from in Seattle in a city-run public utility. And when I moved outside the city limits to a a nearby suburb, it went up by four times. And I'm like, there's no excuse for that. All they're taking care of is shareholders. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, they have—they literally have to. I mean, that's that's what's ensconced in, um, in you know, sort of the 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 business. Uh, you know, if, if a company does not maximize shareholder returns, it is the the shareholders' right, and it, actually, the shareholders sort of like uh, sort of burden to oust that. The, the governance and put in new caretakers to maximize shareholder return. It's why we have things like B Corps, which is a newer thing, which is basically kind of opting out of what is essentially the the dominant regime. The dominant regime is returns to investors is paramount over everything. B Corps say, well, there are other things that might matter to us, for instance, uh, environmental concerns or uh, employ- employee uh, employee conditions or whatever. Um, and but that is that is opting out. The default is 
returns to investors is everything. And so there's actually a way in which companies like, you know, like, like let's say an Exxon or a BP or whatever, even if they saw the writing on the wall was that renewables was better, but there would be a huge capital requirement for it, they kind of can't even go there because that is anathema to return to investors. So it's, yeah, that's a big issue. Anyway, um, coming up, um, we are going to talk about uh, some dreaming and scheming because the lotteries, uh, lottery payouts have been getting pretty, pretty juicy the last uh, few weeks. And we're going to talk about what we would do if uh, your co-hosts at the happy hour were to win the pot. Uh, coming, uh, coming back soon. Stay with us. once a week but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them the hosts will tell you where if you ask nicely (laughs) welcome back to the happy hour uh and as we enter our final segment just want to remind everyone that we are a call-in show 760-677-0111 if anything you've heard over the past little bit has struck uh, struck your fancy give us a call um but in the meantime um the lottery jackpots have been getting wildly huge um you know i know that i think it's the mega millions i think it is is like 1.25 billion uh there have been some really big powerballs and uh chick actually brought this subject up and i thought it was a good one which is if you know if we were to win if one of us were to win a, one of these big lottery payouts, um, would we screw the other and not tell him? <laughs> well, of course that. But um, would we? What would you do, um, sort of uh, philanthropically, or you know, sort of uh, you know, what would you do uh, to to bring good to the world with some of that, and what would you do with it for a little bit of fun? So I love that topic. Personally, I would like to propose that every state in the nation that participates in these lottos, that they have a course that you have to take before you get the payout that deals with financial responsibility, deals with um, doing, uh, you know, things that are, as you said, philanthropic. Um, I know... You know, like when I lived in Seattle, every year Microsoft turned out thousands of millionaires, you know, with their stock options. And the company actually had a program where they taught people how to be responsible with their newfound wealth. And I think that that would be a good thing to do with people who win lotteries too, because so oftentimes we hear about somebody who got a ginormous lottery payout and next thing you know you're reading two or three years later that they have just come out of bankruptcy 
Yeah, no, I think that that's a great point. Um, you know, and, and you actually kind of, um, it dovetails into what I, what, what I would do um, philanthropically. Cause I, I thought about this a lot because there are some really big global issues that matter a lot. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about like global warming. Um, but I think that my lottery winnings would be like a drop in the bucket. And so I was kind of trying to think about what are topics that are focused enough that I could make, like I could move the needle with my, you know, lottery winnings. I think that's the kind of my, my rubric is like, where can I make a, a tangible difference with this money? And yeah. there are a couple of things that came to mind, but one of my soap docs topics that I think, um, you know, kind of hearkening back to our earlier discussion of PragerU is um, one of my big bugaboos uh, that I think it w is really important is um, is civics education. I think that um, civics education in terms of teaching people about how government works, what government does, what taxes pay for, what your legal rights and responsibilities are as an adult. Um, and it, it verges into financial stuff too, like you mentioned. Um, you know, how your finances align with, you know, your basically life as an adult. I think civics is a really, is a, it's a, sort of a broad, um, a broad rubric for basically, here's how to be a grown up. Here's what, you know, here's how you actually have to be a, a citizen. And part of being a citizen is being financially responsible, civically responsible, you know, philanthropic, you know, that's another aspect, like you said, to, you know, to give, to give back as, you know, to be honest, uh, one of the things that is philanthropic is to understand how taxes work, because actually taxes is a form, is a form, you know, is a, a, a form of philanthropy. If you look at philanthropy as using your money that you make to do good things for other people, yeah, because that's what taxes do. And so for me, I think I would really use my, uh, a chunk of my lottery winnings to really go towards creating a, a robust civics curriculum that could be plugged in at the high school level um, to to really you know to to supplement what what used to be a thing. I, I had civics class growing up. You know, I took AP civics or whatever. But it sounds like it's kind of it's gone know, now. Lost at this it's point. gone. It's now. not there. Yeah. And, um, you know, much as I would also like handwriting to be part of the curriculum because <laughs> I love cursive, I do think civics and, and, and a huge part of my civics curriculum would be media competency, understanding what media is real and what's not. How to, you know, like, you know, there's a great on the media is an amazing podcast out of WNYC, but understanding what emerging news is true and what's not, what's garbage, what's real. Um, it's all part of being a, an, a, an adult citizen. And so for me, I think a civics curriculum uh, nonprofit, I think that's where I would go. Yeah. Well, I know I was in a situation in uh, early 2001. I had a um, startup company in the Pacific Northwest. And 
at one point in time, we were in negotiation to sell our company to a major international um, media conglomerate that owned, you know, newspapers like the Chicago Sun-Times and the Jerusalem Post and others. And fortunately, we didn't go through with selling the company because their CEO ended up going to prison. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, for about a month or so, my partner and I had to think about because we were on paper going to be worth roughly about $80 million. And of course, you can't just cash that out on the spot. Um, you know, there's golden handcuffs and all that when, you know, these companies are acquiring you. But um, I honestly was at a place, and so was my other half, uh, where we had decided that at the time, uh, our financial planners had told us that if we had $8 million, we could afford to live for the rest of our lives, you know, between, you know, putting that money away and, you know, having it grow and right. and all that. And so we were going to take everything above and beyond the $8 million and put it into um, LGBT and progressive uh, services and mm -hmm. programs. And... I think most people are so caught up in the, you know, me, 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 me uh, world. But I would rather leave something that, you know, leaves uh, a really feel-good legacy if I were to win. I, and I never will win one of those jackpots because um, I know that I have the same chance as virtually everybody but one in winning them. None. So mm -hmm. I, I don't buy lottery tickets. And I have in the past, you know, here and there, but even when these big ones come up, like the, you know, uh, hundred or the uh, 1.25 billion, it's not enough to get me in the door. I, I don't believe in paying <laughs> a, a, you know, a, a self-imposed tax to give the state money right. when I don't think that they use it for the things that they're supposed to be using it for to begin with. Right. If it all went to education and that kind of stuff, I'd be all for supporting it. So, Chick, um, if you had if if you had a if you won the one point two five, uh, what would be your kind of philanthropic uh, topic? I think mine would go similar to yours, a lot towards schools. Um, I think that programs like you had mentioned earlier, things like arts and music. I think those are vastly underfunded and compared to like sports programs in schools. And so I would, it would a large part of it. I mean, I think a lot of it would go to that, to helping out schools and um, education. Cause I think that's very important. Yeah. I, I love that because, you know, one of the things that I, um, I really bristle about too is, you know, um, I love things like the opera and the symphony and stuff. And people are like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's elitist, you know, that's, that's for the 1%, whatever. Um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, having music education, music shouldn't be for the 1%. Music should be for everyone. Um, and actually, you know, in a lot of countries, uh, you know, in Europe and stuff, um, it's not, 
uh, it's actually, uh, you know, it is something for everyone. And uh, I think that's a great, that's a great, um, great way to go. Um, well, boys, thank you for enduring my snot factory. And I'll look forward to seeing you next Thursday, hopefully in a much better state of existence. Absolutely. Great to have everyone. Thank you for joining us in the happy hour.